Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our Spotlight on the Positive segment. And here are some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri. Go get them, guys. Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazeri here with you. Well, folks, this is it, our last show of the season. We want to thank you for being so supportive of the show. It was our ninth season, and we are certainly already looking forward to our big milestone celebration later this fall. Right now, we've got a couple hours left uh, in the hourglass with you for this season, and we're excited to spend it with you. Plus, we've got four more legends of the game. We've got some old friends, got a new one that we're looking forward to getting to know. So we're going to have a great time tonight, and we thank you for being here. Bob, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. We always have a good time, and um, it's uh, it's been a trying season, as you know. Uh, let's hope we never have to go through a a season <laughs> like this again as far as just uh, not only football, but broadcasting and everything. But, hey, you know, Chris, uh, like you said, uh, I th- I'm looking forward to next season, next fall, and uh, hopefully things will go very smoothly. Yeah, well, I tell you what, Bob, I'm looking forward to hopefully by then we get fans in the stands, and it's uh, somewhat uh, normal again. I'll tell you what. Um, I was curious coming into this season what it was going to be like not having, you know, fans at all. We got, and as the season progressed, we got, you know, a few in, in some uh, some cities. Uh, we got a little bit at the uh, Super Bowl, a little over 20,000 there. But, um, yeah, I missed the crowd. I missed the excitement of the crowd. I was curious if I was going to miss that or not. Because I, I got to be honest with you, Bob, and you and I talked about this over on the golf side this summer. I didn't miss not having fans at PGA events and hearing the, you know, get in the hole and mashed potatoes and all that that, you know, people scream out at a golf tournament. I didn't miss not having fans at PGA events, but I really missed having fans at NFL games. That's a great point, Chris. Golf is uh, kind of a, a silent type of game, and then you'll have those fans that uh, can only do. I mean, when you think about it, the only thing they can do is ruin things for some of these golfers. But uh, football is a different thing. We talked about this before, too. It's such a – the whole tailgating thing and the, uh, the the fact that it is only once a week. It's one day a week, unlike golf. I mean, it's um, – yeah, and, and to, to not have that, uh, the way they were able to uh, have a season and have it come off. But uh, for the fans that still attend games, it must have been tough because – you know, I mean, tailgating, and you know, I used to do it when I was younger. Chris, I mean, it's 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 great. I mean, especially when the weather's good. And I can't tell you how many times we went down to Meadowlands and, and brought some barbecues with it. I mean, it's just great stuff. But um, uh, hopefully, again, uh, in the fall, it's all back, and uh, there's no fears. Yeah, yeah. 
from your lips to God's ears, knock on wood. I hope that's absolutely the case. Bob, I also want to get a quick thought from you. It's, it's amazing to me how many quarterbacks are in flux right now around the league. I mean, the Jets are open to trading. Sam Darnold, the, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson aren't on the same page. We know Deshaun Watson is looking to get out of Houston. Dak Prescott is a free agent. We've seen Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford all switch teams, right? Mitch Trubisky may not be back in Chicago. Alex Smith doesn't appear to be headed back to Washington. Jimmy G has been rumored to be on the move. Broncos are looking for a franchise quarterback. Have you ever seen anything like this with respect to the uh, quarterback position? Never. Uh, the drama and the questions, it's never been like this, Chris. And I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. Uh, I think some some of it is ego. Some of it is uh, money that these guys are making. Some of it is guys that were overrated, Chris. I mean, and that comes down to scouting and everything like that. I think I think just the media and the, the age we live in, a lot of these guys were kind of probably drummed up to be something that they're not. And now teams, after having paid them, are uh, literally paying the price, uh, maybe for putting too much emphasis on how good they thought some of these guys. But but you're right. I mean, Russell Wilson, there's been some, there's been talk about, and these guys are making big bucks. I mean, there's been talk about Wilson wanting more uh, say in personnel matters, and he's making huge money. We know the whole thing about Deshaun Watson. It all went bad there because of personality clashes. And I think it's about money. And, you know, these guys think they should have GM power, a la LeBron James. And we can keep going on, Chris. But, uh, you know, the whole Roethlisberger, that's been settled. Obviously, he's going to take a pay cut to stay there one more year. I don't know if that's a good thing. I'll, uh, maybe you and I can talk about that later. Whence there, there was a, there was a personality clash there. Uh, that was kind of forced. The Stafford thing is his, he just basically his time ran out in Detroit. Um, but I mean, these guys, he had a lot of talent. It's going to be, it's going to be great to see what he can do in a new city. Uh, the whole Prescott thing, when he went down, you know, should they pay him? There's so much drama. I think a lot of it, Chris, is media driven. And a lot of it has to do with these guys are making kings ransoms and probably aren't worth it. All right, let's get on to tonight's show. And, Bob, I agree with everything you just said, my friend. Uh, tonight, our first guest is going to be LSU Hall of Famer and former Bears wide receiver Wendell Davis. Bob, Wendell, a great friend of the show for many years now, had a great career at LSU. He's still near the top of their all-time receiving list. And even though you know he's been gone since 1988, still right there at the top, had a great run with the Bears in the late 80s, early 90s, until the uh, ridiculous uh, turf there at Veterans Stadium ended his career. We've talked with Wendell about that in the past, but a talented guy and a great friend. Great guy, Chris. We've had him on the TV side, radio side. He's so cooperative, so personable, and uh, such a good friend to the show. I mean, loyalty, you and I value that more than anything, and he's right at the top of our list. So uh, always great to have him on. I can't wait to Following Wendell, we're going to get a return visit from former Major League infielder Kurt Pavacqua. Kurt's going to live forever in the hearts of Padres fans for his performance in the 1984 World Series. Kurt wasn't a big home run hitter, but he certainly had a couple of big ones in that World Series. So always entertaining when Kurt's part of the show. Great word, entertaining, Chris. He is a storyteller, and uh, having played long in the league for different squads, he's got a million stories. 
and uh, he's been another friend that's joined us uh, in different mediums, and uh, he continues to do that. I was invited to, to listen in on a Zoom he did with Ron Bloomberg this past summer, which was very entertaining. So these guys, uh, terrific storytellers, and uh, we're just graced every time he joins us. Kurt will be along about 30 minutes from now. Later on in the hour, we're going to be joined by yet another great friend, former Steelers and Falcons defensive back Randy Fuller. Randy will forever live in the hearts of Steelers fans for breaking up the Hail Mary pass from Jim Harbaugh in the last play of the 1995 AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh, allowed the Steelers to move on and go to Super Bowl 30. That play, Bob, almost ended in disaster for the Steelers because the ball was bouncing off a lot of bodies. It hit the turf, but then bounced right up into the arms of Aaron Bailey. And thank God the referee saw it hit the ground because it was hard to tell in the sea of people. And you, as you know, no replay back then. But uh, Randy's been another great friend over the years, Bob. Looking forward to getting some more stories from him tonight. Yeah, Chris, he's uh, he has been a good guy. I mean, if you remember him as a player, he was small in stature, but he played with a big heart. And uh, like you said, Steeler fans won't forget him. But uh, great guy, better guy than he was a player. That's saying something. <laughs> Indeed. Randy will join us near the top of the next hour. So there you have it, folks. Another great show on tap for you tonight. As Like we always say, sit back, relax, let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life for the next couple of hours. It's time for another edition of Bob Take. So, Bob, tell us. What's on your mind tonight? All right, let's get into this week's edition of Bob's Take. And, Bob, I want to start by getting your thoughts on a guy that we have featured in our spotlight on the positive a few times, and that's former, now former, Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph. You surprised to see that Rudolph ended up being a cap uh, casualty this week with the Vikings? Well, you know, the the way the cap is now, Chris, and, and any guy north of 30 years old, um, you can't be really surprised. I was more saddened because, as you said, we featured him on the show for a variety of reasons. You know, I'm sure his name has come up for uh, for his amazing play on the field. But, my goodness, he's been a, a Walter, uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year finalist. I mean, uh, such a good guy. What he does off the field, again, Trump's his great career that he has on the field. But, you know, Chris, he signed a big contract, man. He was he was going to make $8, 9000000 million. Uh, again, if you look at his stats, his, his catches had gone down over the last few years. And, uh, and these GMs are constantly kind of kind of throwing it back uh, in, in boardroom saying, you know, are, 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 is this guy going to be worth it to us? You know, put, put aside all the the goodness and what he does with the organization. I mean, it's got to be, it's all about when you're paying a guy eight, nine million dollars, you know, what can he do for us now? And uh, they came to the um, conclusion that, that, you know, it might be best for him to move on. Now, I think he can still play Chris and I think he'll probably be very, I wouldn't be surprised if he picked up very quickly by somebody. And you know how I think tight ends are so important. And especially a guy that can do what he did, a guy that's caught 83 passes in a season one time. So I just wish him luck. I know you do the same because we have an in on how good a guy this guy is. And I think at the age of 31, he still maybe got a couple good seasons left in him. 
Yeah, and I hope uh, those couple of seasons are in the black and gold in Pittsburgh. I promise you. <laughs> You'll take them. Absolutely. And Bob, speaking of veterans on the move, what about J.J. Watt choosing Arizona as his landing spot? Surprised that uh, that's where he ended up? That kind of surprised me, Chris. So I didn't really have a team in mind. I wasn't sure if this guy kind of knew that he didn't want to go to somewhere where there would be no chance of winning. Uh, but then when you looked into it a little more, I think he wanted to go to a place where there was another good pass rusher. Now, Arizona has Chandler Jones in that team, Chris, uh, which, uh, and then when you do some statistical, uh, analysis last year, JJ Watt was double teamed about 30% of the time, uh, which, which obviously his sacks are going to be down. He only had a couple, he only had four or five sacks last year. But again, he's being double teamed. I don't think he's the player he was five years ago, Chris. Uh, that's not going, you know, crazy saying that. But I mean, he was at such a high level, but he's still at a very good level right now. But with another good lineman, I think he'll have more chance. And I wouldn't be surprised if he comes up with eight to 10 sacks, maybe more. Uh, because of the, the thing here. And, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on those guys. And Arizona is a team that is up on the move. So I think he wants to be part of something special there. So it does make sense in that respect. So, uh, we wish him luck there. They're giving good money to a guy. A couple of years, he's making very, very good money for a guy who's probably seen his best days. Bob, one more. And Dan, or- Dan Orlovsky of, uh, ESPN said, uh, Seahawks should fire. Pete Carroll, if Russell Wilson has a problem working with him going forward, and this is something you mentioned uh, just a few moments ago, but um, are, are we turning into teams now where the superstar players get to run, you know, what goes on, make the big decisions now? Uh, I'm sort of troubled by the thought that, uh, you know, that Russell Wilson should be able to decide that, hey, I, I don't like this head coach, you need to fire him. And guys like Orlovsky of uh, ESPN agree with that. What are your thoughts? I'm very, you, had the, you made the correct word there, Chris, troubled. Um, this is happening not just in Seattle. You have a superstar player who either doesn't like the direction of the franchise, doesn't uh, have a say in personnel decisions, which is totally crazy. These guys are, these, some of these guys, Chris, you know, they probably had trouble getting out of high school, going to college in the first place, and they think they are GMs. So, um, I mean, but I'm not saying about that about R- Russell Wilson, but, you know, stay in your zone, man. I mean, and Pete Carroll, you know, I mean, just because he's making an eighth of the money that Russell Wilson is, uh, that it's Pete's team. And, you know, if Wilson was the player we thought he was or the type of individual we thought he was, um, you know, you make it work. And, and, Perrell, I, I, and Pete Carroll, I, I, would, I, I would think if you ask most people, they think he's a very good football coach, Chris. So, and you know that these, um, and, and Carroll's more of a defensive mind. So, you know, it, Wilson would, should be talking more maybe about the offensive coordinator, stuff like that. So leave Pete Carroll out of it. But, um, but Orlovsky, you know, I, I don't really agree. You don't fire the coach just because one guy, one guy in a football team, the ultimate team game, one guy maybe can't get along with somebody. Uh, I know he's got a lot of talent, and that's your quarterback. But, man, you know, it is disturbing, Chris, when ego gets in the way. It, it, again, two things, ego and money. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that's a great place to leave it, too. 
There you go, folks. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. And Bob, before we move on, remind our listeners again about the interviews that they can find on your Monday Night Sports 14 YouTube channel. Yeah, we post a few during the week on Twitter, Chris, depending on if there's birthdays of guys we've interviewed, et cetera. You know how that works. And um, again, if you just want to check out, I think there's about 130 of them listed on our YouTube channel. You go to uh, YouTube and you, go, you uh, search Monday Night Sports 14, and uh, then you'll have the pick of the litter from all sports. And, and uh, So, yeah, that's the best way to do it. And uh, keep looking at Twitter, too. You uh, We do retweets and we do everything to kind of plug those, and they're still fun to watch. All right, we've got our first guest, Wendell Davis, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Wendell right on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. It's him. He's alive. All right, now back in making his seventh appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Bears wide receiver Wendell Davis. Let me remind you about Wendell's background. He's from Shreveport, Louisiana. Played his college ball at LSU, where he remained second in all-time receiving yards, eighth in touchdown catches, and 12th in yards from scrimmage. He helped them get to three straight bowl games from 1985 to 1987 and a win in the 87 Gator Bowl and a number five ranking. Wendell was inducted into the LSU Athletics Hall of Fame in 2011. He was a first-round draft pick by the Chicago Bears in 1988, the 27th overall selection. Played in the NFL from 88 to 1993, all in Chicago. Over the course of that time, he had 207 receptions for an even 3,000 yards and 14 touchdowns, and we are very honored. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Wendell, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Wendell. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Can you hear me? Ah, we're fantastic. Wendell, how are you? (laughs) I'm fine, man. I I heard you say seven years. I've been on seven times already. That's right. Seven times, my friend. You're a great friend wow. of the show. We can't thank you enough. Wow. Get a lifetime wow, that's contract. Awesome. That's right. That's right. I got you. I got you. I enjoy every time I come on the show with you guys. So thanks for having wow, me. We appreciate that. Wendell, catch us up. What's been going on with you over the last year? Well, you know, in light of what's going on in the world, uh, just trying to, uh, Stay, uh, stay healthy and stay safe. Uh, with family, you know, uh, thank, thank God my family and everybody's doing well. Uh, but, uh, still working. Uh, I, I don't know. Last time I talked to you guys, I was, I was working in, uh, supplier diversity, uh, for a company here in Chicago. Been doing that for the last, uh, last three years. Really enjoying that. Uh, but, uh, other than that, man, just, uh, staying safe and taking care of the family and, uh, you know, uh, just doing what I need to do. Wendell, I want to get your thoughts on your alma mater, LSU. Um, uh, they uh, kind of fell off for your Tigers after winning the national championship in 2019, uh, five and five last season. Got what? Three yeah. different guys trying to fill in for Joe Burrows at quarterback and, uh, started off the season, yeah. you know, high. People still had the the high hopes at number six, but it kind of fell off after that. Your thoughts? Was that a a one year anomaly for the Tigers, or are you concerned about this upcoming season too? Uh, I I am a little concerned. Uh, you know, it's uh, 
I, I was not expecting the season they had last year. Uh, you know, as, as I follow them and I follow recruiting, and you see every almost every year for the last five years, he's been in the top having top recruiting classes. So that's why I was kind of puzzled that uh, we fell off that that much after Burrow left and uh, uh, other guys left. Uh, you would think it'd be easy to to fill those spots. So uh, I was a little troubled by that. Uh, you know, we are going through some 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 tough times on the field and off the field down there in Baton Rouge. So uh, you know, I my hope is that uh, you know that we could kind of pull things together. Uh, you know, Coach O, uh, I'm sure he's excited. I, I know he's he's going to give it his best, but you know. You have to play the games, and uh, right now, uh, you know, it looks like we, we're going to be starting from a, a tough position. Uh, you know, we have guys that uh, it's a young team, uh, but we also got guys that uh, that that played last year and also are transferring out, and you know, it's just just so many things, so so many moving parts right now down at LSU. So I, you know, I'm. I, I don't know what to expect next year or this year. Wendell, looking back on your time in Baton Rouge, I mean, college campuses are a lot of fun, especially during a big rivalry week. Was it yes. was it crazy every week when you had a, an, an SEC team come into town, or did it get to a fever pitch if an Alabama or, or a Georgia were coming in to, to play in, uh, in, uh, in Baton Rouge? Well, let me put it like this. It was crazy every week, but it was crazier <laughs> when you had an SEC team coming to town. Uh, playing in LSU, playing in Death Valley, uh, playing at night, um, there was nothing like it. Uh, the fans, uh, the atmosphere, uh, it, it was just off the chart every 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 game that's played at LSU at home game. So, uh, but it's just but when there are SEC games like Alabama, uh, Florida coming to town, it's just crazier. I mean, it's it's uh, crazy ten times crazy. Um, <laughs> and you know, that, and that's all that's all you need to get uh, get ready to play. You know, uh, you truly, I really believe you truly at a disadvantage <laughs> when you come into Death Valley. Uh, not only because of fans, but I mean, we we just uh, the tailgating. I mean, the uh, just the atmosphere is just uh, unbelievable, and uh, and I'm sure it's changed since I've been there. Uh, I, I've been back for a few games, and guys, I tell you, it, it, it it's just nothing like it. Uh, being around the stadium and all the people out uh, tailgating and then going inside and just carrying it carrying that energy inside the stadium. So it, it was fun. And Wendell, when you were there, you guys had a, a couple of shots at a national championship, particularly in 86, 87. Was there, was there a game, a loss, a play, something? If you could go back, you know, boy, I'd sure like to get that over again. Oh, man. Uh, I want, I want to say the, the year, what year did we play Ohio State? Uh, I know in, in the game ended up a tie. It was a tie. Uh, yeah. At the end of the game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's one that I, I, 
I really truly thought we could, if we could get that one back, I, I thought it would really would have set, set the stage for us to go to the national championship, uh, play for the national championship that year, um, because we were both high ranked teams. Uh, we were very, each team was very good, both offensively and defensively. And, uh, it ended up a tie, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> they didn't have over. They didn't have overtime back then. You know, that was, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm like throwing warm water on you. You know, it's like, come on, man, let's finish this yeah, game. But uh, that one game just, I, it just sticks in my craw. That was 1987, September 26, 87. You guys, fourth uh-huh. game, uh, fourth week of the season. You guys come in ranked number four, yeah. Ohio State number seven, and it ends 13, oh, 13. Man. Yeah, that's got to be a better pill. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, but it was it was a good experience. So that's I think they had Spillman too. They had uh, uh, Spillman on that team, so that was yep. uh, <laughs> that was a good game. Very good game. Five questions for Wendell. Yeah, great to speak with you again, Wendell. And we're glad that you and your family are doing well. And you know, I always Thank look you. back on uh, some of your teammates, and, and there were so many great ones. And I, and I was surprised to see and. I knew he played, but I didn't realize you guys played five years together with Ron Rivera, you know, and he mm-hmm. was um, mm-hmm. the linebacker he was back then. Tell us how he was as a player that you knew, Wendell, and did you have any idea that he would go on to, uh, to be a not only a coach, but a pretty successful NFL coach? Um, I, I can't say I, I, I thought he'd be a, a, a coach, uh, a head coach, but I, I knew uh, Ron was a student of the game. Uh, he was one of those guys that, that knew every position, uh, and could play every position, uh, on the defense. Um, uh, and he was a, a very high football IQ. Uh, he got along with everybody. Uh, he was, he was kind of like a, a coach on the field, uh, the years I played with him. Um, you know, he would, uh, you know, Kind of get guys together and kind of put guys in position. So, uh, you know, I, honestly, Bob, I didn't, I didn't know if he would be a head coach, or if he was going to go in coach, but I, I knew that the way that he played and the way that he prepared, um, that he had a high, high football IQ. So, so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that he's, he's a, a head coach and a, a successful one at that. And Wendell, you're one of those guys that played your entire career in one city and said you still have ties to Chicago and, and we, we talked about how cold it is there, how uncomfortable it can get but something has, has given you an incredible devotion to that city. Uh, what uh, Tell us about Chicago as a sports town and uh, what you like about it so much uh, that it gave you, it, it's given you a lot in your life obviously. Well I think you, you, you said it, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, it, it's a, a, a great sports town, especially coming from Coming from LSU, where, uh, down in Baton Rouge, you know, sports are huge. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just the atmosphere is, is just un- unspeakable. And you get that here in Chicago, not just in, in football, but in all sports. I mean, they, uh, the, the city rally around, rally around the sports teams. Um, they, they treat you, uh, like, uh, <laughs> Like uh, Kings here in Chicago, you play sports, and uh, I came during a time when 
uh, you know, they 85, they, they won the Super Bowl in 85, but they still had a, uh, a, a nucleus of, uh, of 85 Bears were still here. You know, you had, uh, you had Walter Payton, you had Mike Singletary, you had, uh, Fridge, McMahon, all of those guys I got to not only, uh, play with, but, uh, hang out with in the city. So I, I got to learn the city and learn the people of the city. And I don't think there's any better guideline, uh, in the country. Uh, it's just a, a, a beautiful and inspiring city. Uh, you know, I, of course I lived in the suburbs and I played, but, uh, these days currently I live in the city, right on the south side of the city. And, uh, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy the summers. Summers are, are really the best time. Summers in the spring are the best time to come to Chicago, unless you like the cold weather. If you like the cold weather, you can come in the winter. You know, we we got some cold for you. We got enough snow for you, too. So. Right on the lake. So, actually, right on the lake, man. And uh, we, we live right. I, I walk to the lake. I can walk to the lake from where I live. Wow. And so it, it comes it comes right off of that lake, man, and it just uh, it cuts through you. But uh, I think it's it's worth it because uh, the 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 spring and summer, man, is just beautiful here in Chicago. And plus, my wife is from the suburbs of Chicago, so <laughs> there you that's go. Probably the main, that's probably the main <laughs> reason why I think. that is a good <laughs> after <answer>. all of that. <laughs> Yeah. Wendell, to your yeah. point, right? When you get there in Chicago, I mean, the majority of that '85 Bears team was still there, right? particularly mm-hmm. on on the defensive side. I'm I'm wondering as a as a rookie coming in, what was it like trying to make a name for yourself? Oh. I know you're a first round draft pick and all, but you're trying to make a name oh. for yourself on that team against those oh. guys and at practice. What was that like? It was a challenge every day. Uh, you, when you, when you, you got Richard Dent and, and actually Otis Wilson was still here when I came in. You got Fridge, you got McMichael, you got Mike Singletary, uh, you got Ron Rivera. Now that, that's the guys you have to go against. And, and of course I, I come in, you know, you don't, you don't start out as a first round. You, they, they say, oh, you're not going to be on the first team, but eventually you get, you go, you're going to get on the first team. So I'm going to, Ones against one, and uh, I can't curse on your show, but uh, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, uh, it was very nerve wracking uh, to you know as a you know I was kind of possession receiver and I make my living going across the middle, and just imagine you know having to go across the middle and, and Mike Singletary is just waiting on you in the middle. Uh, so, you know, it was definitely a challenge. I had to get used to, uh, what they call fedding up, not hitting. Cause, uh, I, I, many a times I thought he was going to knock my block off, but he, he, uh, he pulls up, right? And, uh, you know, uh, I had to get used to that. Um, and just thank God we didn't go against the ones all the time. Rookies always have to endure some, sort of hazing during training camp. Did, oh, did you have to do oh. anything worse than having to sing the LSU fight song at dinner? What did they make <laughs> you do? <laughs> well, I didn't. They, the only 
thing that they did to me is speaking of cold, we had a practice. It was very cold. And back then we didn't have a, uh, we didn't have a bubble to go to an indoor facility. <laughs> we had to practice outside when it was cold. And they, they, uh, got tape. They tried, they tied me to the, taped me to the, uh, the goalposts outside. Uh, thank God it didn't stick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they did a very poor job of wrapping it. So I was able to break, break through it. Uh, that's the only real hazing they did to me. And it was all in fun. But the other thing that they did as a rookie, you had chores and you had responsibilities. And one of them is, and you had to get the chicken, uh, Popeye's chicken, uh, on the plane for everybody now. You didn't just get a box of chicken. You had to get boxes of chicken for the plane, for the players before we take off. You have to be there on time and you had to get on Saturday, Saturday mornings, you had to get the donuts and you have to, you have to get them. You have to be there. If you did, then you, you your whole week is messed up. <laughs> so, uh, that, you know, uh, you, something you, you, you don't get them. You might can't find your shoes practice, I can't find your shoulder pads, and you're going to be late, you'll get fined. So, <laughs> there's no, there's no balls from there. So, you guys get the picture. No <laughs> and Wendell, Mike Ditka was about as intense a coach as I've ever seen in my lifetime. Talk about what it was like, you know, with him during the week, and, and, and what would drive him absolutely crazy? Oh, losing. <laughs> losing would drive me absolutely crazy, but during the week, and it, and it kind of depended on, on who he played. Uh, I can tell you the Green Bay week, it was very intense. Cause, you know, it was, it was, a, a the Green Bay and, and the Bears rival, the Packers and the Bears rival was very intense. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it might be still intense now, but it was very intense back then. And you had a lot of tight, buttholes back back when that game went on that week and uh you know making mistakes on in practice uh just really heightened things so you you try to uh make sure that you were on your game that make sure you knew your plays uh not only were were coach dicker tight but i mean all the players were tight everybody was intense because of rivalry uh but coach dicker uh during the week you know, he, he would, he would, uh, he would be intense the whole week. And then he would, uh, uh, during the game, if the game's going well, we're all good. I mean, it, it's a pr- pretty smooth thing, but when, when things go bad, I mean, he can blow up on you and you just have to be ready for that. Uh, but you know, I got used to it. I think guys got used to it. And knew that, that's just how he coached. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, he, he was a pretty good head coach. Uh, he let guys play. Uh, he let his coaches coach. So, uh, at the end of the day, he was good, but he, he could get intense on the sideline. He could, uh, you know, curse you out and, uh, <laughs> uh, threaten to send you home. Uh, you know, a lot of things. Threaten to fight. Uh, you know, that, you, you saw that. Oh, I saw that a few times. Uh, guys really challenge 
challenge ticket. And uh, so they really? were to do it again. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh this you know, uh, <laughs> these are these are grown men you're dealing with. You <laughs> you wanna you wanna say, you know, try to talk like you're gonna kick some butt, you know, hey, they're gonna come back at you. So <laughs> Hey, cool, cool wow. heads prevail. Yeah, guys, guys kind of, you know, they, they, they prevail, but cool heads prevail. But I've seen it a couple of times. It's just, it's just, just like a family. <laughs> Bob, one more for Wendell. Yeah, Wendell, I always wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, about these wide receivers wearing gloves when they play. You know, back in your day, you probably wore them just to stay warm. But but you know, you, now these guys are having them. Uh, you know, you see them playing in Miami with them. I mean, it's it's, it's a part of their equipment. I mean, are these guys going to yeah. catch a hundred balls uh, without wearing gloves? And does it make a huge difference, Wendell? You wouldn't be the one to ask. Um, I back back in the day, I don't. Yeah, I did. I only wore the gloves when when uh, it really got cold, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, and. And I, and I guess I, I, I said like this, Bob, when I played, gloves were not in fashion. People didn't wear gloves. So you, you developed confidence in your hands. And so I had confidence in my hands that I could catch the ball with my hands without gloves. Uh, and I just think, uh, the younger generation, they start out with gloves and it's just the opposite. You know, it's like, I, I got to have my gloves on or I can't catch because they have they have, and I have nothing against gloves, but they just have confidence, more confidence with those gloves on. Because uh, back when I came out, you know, we had to try to find some type of glove to put on because it was so close. We had gloves that, I mean, they were not fit for catching the ball. <laughs> Almost like no. mittens, you know. Thank God. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. You know, you could even feel his hands and those things. But, uh, but these things they have today are just unbelievable. But I, I think it comes down to confidence. I think it's, it's, it's like, you know, like most football players, you know, guys used to, they have to put their socks on a certain way, you know, <laughs> before the game. I got to do it this way every game, you know, because that's it's just superstition. I have to do it that way. And I think it comes down to guys, they have, you know, I, I used these gloves in the beginning. I started out with these gloves. I got to have them on the play. And, you know, we just didn't do that when I was coming out. It was just use your hand. Guess with your hand. So, Wendell, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's, it's following you online or it's on social media? Yeah, uh, the only thing I, I really do, I do LinkedIn. So they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they can reach out. Uh, I try, I try Instagram, but I can't get, I can't keep up with it, fellas. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I need some train, I need some training on Instagram and, and, and Twitter. My, my kids try to get me to do Twitter more, but, uh, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to, to keep up with what, with what I'm doing. Um, and, 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 and coming to your show. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Yeah, yeah. Chris, before you let me go, how's your son? Oh, wow. I appreciate you asking. Um, we're not sure yet, Wendell. I, I, I wish I could tell you better news. 
But uh, yeah, he's been down and out. This, this makes three weeks, uh, you know, go tonight that, um, yeah, he started to get sick. And, and unfortunately, we haven't figured it out yet. So uh, okay. we, we continue well, on with other doctors, but I appreciate you. Yeah, praying for you and your family. Praying for your son that he gets better. And, well, uh, I appreciate, appreciate that very you. much, Wendell. Wendell, take care, my friend. Stay safe out there. All, All the right, best to guys. you and your family. We look. We're already looking All forward right. to uh, visit number eight. Hey. Oh, right. Thank you, guys. I feel like I feel like I'm on Saturday Night Live, man. Give me a jacket. Got to give me a jacket. That's right. That's right. Absolutely, we do. We owe you that. All right. <laughs> Stay safe, my All friend. Right. Take care. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thank take guys. care, Wendell. All right. Bye-bye. See you, Wendell. Right, guys. Bye, bye. But that's a great Wendell Davis. Wow. Guys fighting with Mike Ditka. Wow. I, I, I'd sure like to have seen that. Oh boy. And I'm sure Ditka didn't like it at the time, but you know, later on in his life, he probably respected those guys, you know, because that's the type of guy he was. So, uh, that's great stories. Yeah, it is. But I tell you what, the, the thing that, that, uh, always gets me, uh, when I think back on Wendell and his career is what might've been right. If that, you know, and you know, I, I love the old stadium. Three River Stadium is a place that I saw so many games, spent so much of my, uh, my youth there at Three Rivers, kind of love those cookie cutter, but the turf and to think that, you know, everybody hated the vet and the vet was terrible, infamous for how terrible the turf was. And, uh, I hated even more after we got to know Wendell because, uh, it took his career away from him. So stock down veteran stadium, but, um, yeah, wonder what could have been with Wendell. What a great player. What a great man. Yeah, six years in the league, Chris, and uh, that's probably above normal, but he was only 27, 28 years old when he was out of the league. So you're right. Uh, but he doesn't seem bitter, and uh, you won't find a better guy. That's exactly right. All right, we've got our next guest, Kurt Pavacqua, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Kurt on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear NFL legends, players, coaches, and media members from around the country sharing their insights and stories with us year-round. Here on Thursday night, tailgate, 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 tailgate. Before we get to our next guest, Kurt Bavacqua, we want to give a shout-out to Don Stargell Moore, daughter of my childhood baseball hero, Willie Stargell. Donna owns a consulting company called More to Life, and that's a number two, More to Life Consultants. It's a premier executive career and leadership coaching firm with over 20 years of leadership experience. Their goal is to work with companies that desire organizational change, accountability, and authenticity, which promotes high levels of employee engagement, and they also support individuals seeking to grow personally and professionally. Remember, folks, life changes in the blink of an eye, so live your best life on purpose. You can contact More to Life Consultants at m2lifeconsultants.com, and that's M, the number two, lifeconsultants.com or give them a call at 855-888-2840. That's 855-888-2840. All right, now back with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Major League infielder Kurt Bavacqua. Let me remind you about Kurt's background. He's from Miami Beach, Florida, played his college ball at Miami-Dade College. He was originally drafted by the Mets in the 32nd round in 1966 and the Atlanta Braves in the sixth round of the January 1967 secondary draft, but didn't sign with either team. He did sign with the Cincinnati Reds, who selected him in the 12th round of the secondary phase of the June 1967 draft. 
He was traded to the Cleveland Indians in 1971 and made his major league debut in June of that year. He earned the nickname Dirty Kurt for regularly having the dirtiest uniform on the team. He played in the major leagues from 1971 to 1985 for the Indians, Royals, Pirates, Brewers, Rangers, and Padres. He helped the Padres make it to the World Series in 1984 and had a couple of big home runs in that series. And we are very honored to have him back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Kurt, Chris and Bob here. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Kurt. My pleasure, gentlemen. How are you? We're fantastic, Kurt. How are you? Uh, Doing okay. Doing okay. Hopefully this COVID stuff's coming to an end. Um, But I keep reading stuff about it coming back in the spring. And I don't know. I'm due to get my second shot next week, so I'm going to be happy. And we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt, I want to start our time with you tonight by getting your thoughts on on today's game. It's been driving Bob and I nuts for the last few seasons because more and more the game is becoming a home run or bust, you know, for hitters. I mean, guys are either hitting the ball a mile or they're striking out at a dizzying rate. And, you know, look, I, I know chicks dig the long ball. It seems like, you know, days, you know, when we had leadoff hitters who would get on and steal a base and a or a number two hitter would hit behind the runner, or when there's a guy on third less than two, sort of all the fundamental stuff, right? Hit the ball to the right side when the guy's on third. Stuff seems like it's gone. I mean, we have guys like Chris Davis now who has hit a combined 169 over the last three seasons. But, hey, when he hit home runs, the guy's still got a job. Hey, your thoughts on, on the, today's game versus when you play? Well, it's only getting worse, and we we've seen that in this spring training. Uh, with the rules that they came up with. And I know last year was shortened, but, uh, I mean, come on, guys. These pitchers are 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", and weigh 230 pounds. These are strong men. Uh, these guys can go out and throw nine innings. Let them. I mean, it's a shame when you're going to call an inning after 20 pitches with the number four hitter and the opposition's lineup up to the plate and the base is loaded. I mean, that to me is not baseball. And shame on the Players Association for letting it happen, and shame on Major League Baseball for even thinking about implementing it. Yeah, so take that a step further, Kerr, right? And and certainly last year, you're right, you know, with the shortened season. But one of the things we saw, and, you know, Bob and I are big Red Sox fans, but, you know, pitchers going out there, the starting pitchers, if that's what you want to call them, and I guess it is technically you are the starting pitcher because you started the game. But guys go two innings, maybe three. And then the next guy comes in and goes an inning, and then another guy comes in and goes an inning. I mean, it was it was easiness to me. What's going on with with pitchers right now? What what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that's the way that they're uh, they're molding pitchers to be. Uh, you know, it's what baseball wants. Evidently, they want uh, uh, you know guys to. Uh, they're I think they're deathly afraid of Tommy John surgery and losing a pitcher for a, a minimum of a year and possibly as much as two and not knowing whether they're going to be able to come back or not. But uh, it, what they need to do is they need to back off the velocity and teach these kids how to pitch again. And I think that would do away with a lot of the problems that we're seeing in baseball now, or at least people that love the game are seeing 
the people that are new to the game don't even realize what they're missing. Don't even realize how it was played 25 years ago. And it's too bad because it's certainly not the same game that it was. And I don't, you know, I, I don't see it going back. I really don't. I, I think it's, it's going to continue uh, to slide down the mountain until it gets so deep into the valley that it's not going to have any way out. Yeah, and that's, that's troubling, Kurt, because to your point, I mean, when you were playing, I mean, guys, you know, starting pitchers, you know, completing 25, 30 games, you know, a year. I mean, getting a guy like Bob Gibson out of the game, you know, was you know, almost unheard of. So now getting guys to the fifth inning is almost unheard of. I mean, if you were if you're a manager in the, in the major leagues right now, would you go like you mentioned a moment ago? Try to get your guys right now stretched out so that they can go nine innings. Or do you think the pressure is too much, you know, from owners, from sports agents, and you know, et cetera, to you know, hey, you got to get my guy out of there. I can't, you know, this is my meal ticket. You, you you put that guy down. You let him go four innings. You know, you're going to end up costing me money. Well, I think we saw that in the sixth game of the World Series last year when Tampa Bay just basically gave the World Series to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, if they leave Blake Snell in that game, the Dodgers are not going to score off of him. They didn't have a chance. And when he was taken out of the game, Mookie Betts and uh, Corey Seager were the two happiest men in the world because they were the next two hitters in the lineup and for – six at-bats between the two of them, they hadn't touched the ball against Blake Snell. And here the manager comes out and gets them, and he did it because of analytics. That's the way it was. That's the way they ran their, they run their organization. And if they're going to continue to do it that way, they're not going to win championships. They've got good ball clubs. But I guess somebody has to win the championship uh, and it's going to be the team with fundamentals. And I think Mookie Betts almost single-handedly uh, won that World Series for the Los Angeles Dodgers last year with one method of play, and that was his base running. Uh, he scored on infield outs on a couple of different occasions, whereas it, would, it could have ended the inning with any other runner in the game that didn't have the instincts that Mookie Betts has. And that's something you have to work on. And those are parts of the game that these kids nowadays don't work on. They, when was the last time you saw a play, uh, five players play pepper? <laughs> and they wonder what, yeah, yeah, I mean, really. And, and you know what it does? They discourage the game. Not discourage it. They basically outlaw it because they don't allow it on the field. The groundskeeper has a more important position than uh, a player being able to handle a bat in certain situations. That's why these guys don't hit and run anymore. That's why they can't bunt. Uh, I mean, Pepper was a game that we played every day. And it developed hand-eye coordination and the ability to put the bat on the ball. Uh, you don't see that. Well, you see hand-eye coordination from players naturally. but uh, you don't see the ability to put the bat on the ball when you want to. I mean, if I can't remember the last time I saw a pure hit and run play, I really don't. Right. I, I don't recall 
in 10 years seeing a hit and run play. And we know these guys can't bunt. <laughs> I mean, that's been, you know, that's been proven. Yeah. Kurt, I want to take you back to the early parts of your career. You got to, you know, came up with the Indians in 71. You got to play with guys like, you know, Ray Fossey was on that team. Chris Chambliss was on that team. Veda Pinson, Sam Dow, mm-hmm. Ken Harrelson, Fred Stanley, John Lowenstein. I could go down the list. What do you remember about your first couple of seasons playing in Cleveland? Well, I remember being at times overwhelmed uh, with the competition. And, uh, you know, it was before I, I really developed uh, some confidence. You know, I think that actually took until 76, 77 time frame uh, to really uh, know after putting in five seasons, knowing what I see Fernando Tatis do the first time he walks on a major league field nowadays is have all the confidence in the world. Uh, you know, it, it took a little while for me to develop that. So, um, it, you know, I remember being overwhelmed at times uh, and having situations being too big for me to handle. Uh, and it, as experience, as the days went by and the years went by and, uh, and I gathered more experience, uh, then naturally that stuff started to wane and, uh, the thrill of going in the Yankee stadium or going in the Mets stadium or, uh, going in to play the Reds, uh, the Pirates, you know, the Oakland A's, all of those teams that were perennial winners, uh, started to become fun and it, it started to become a challenge instead of, driving to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore and thinking, God, I'm going to have four days against Cuellar, McDally, Palmer, Dobson. If I can walk out of here with two hits, I'm going to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it it was, uh, you know, it was, it it was tough. Uh, So, you know, these players nowadays, they've got it, uh, you know, they've got it tough going too. I mean, the competition's great. Got a lot of guys that throw the ball hard. Um, it's uh, it's pretty amazing to me the the movement uh, that can happen uh, to a baseball traveling 95, 96 miles an hour. We don't ever recall um, really seeing much of that, but uh, I do remember the guys with the with the heavy baseballs, guys that used to throw a heavy ball. And talk about boy, what they that were. Means. You know what? I still haven't figured that out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I swear. Uh, it, it must be the way they grip the ball. It must be, uh, it has something to do with the size of their hands. Uh, because it wasn't because they were, uh, they had overwhelming velocity, but it, it was, it's just because the ball would dive a little bit. And instead of, jumping off your bat it used to burrow into your bat and it was uh you know there were a few guys around that that did that dick tidrow was uh was an example of a guy that had a heavy ball uh it was a guy that pitched for the braves um you know adrian divine 
that used to throw a heavy ball. And those those kind of pitchers were tough, but those are really the only guys that I remember seeing with, uh, yeah, there were a few others, but the only guys that I can remember that had any kind of velocity, and when I mean velocity, I'm looking upward at 90 miles an hour, that had movement on the ball. You know, I see this May kid from the Dodgers throwing 96, 97, and, and the ball looks like it's sinking. So it's, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing uh, with uh, what they can do with the baseball nowadays. And, um, it, you know, I still enjoy watching the game. Uh, I mean, I'm tuned in every single night. Uh, you know, I love to watch players that are exciting play the game. Uh, you know, do I always agree with everything that's going on? No, but you know what? I never did back then either. So <laughs> it's, uh, but it, yeah. it has certainly changed. Uh, and, and I don't think for the better, I mean, I'd like to see it go back to, you know, a 35 home run guy is a, is a big home run hitter. Uh, but he's also hitting 320. I mean, you right. just don't see that anymore. You know, you don't. I, I think yeah. the players still have as much pride as we had, but the incentive is not there for them to do the things that we were used to doing. You know, the hit the, I mean, you're not going to see a guy give himself up. He's just not right. going to do it. I mean, we watched the playoffs in the World Series last year where they started a guy at second base. How many times did the manager bun him over? How many times did the player attempt to bunt him over or hit the ball to the right side of the infield so that that player could advance from second to third? Right. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Five yeah, questions for crazy. Kurt. Kurt, it's great to talk to you again as usual. And, uh, you know, Thank you, sir. back to the strikeouts and, uh, you know, I was looking at your record. 1979, Kurt, you almost had 350 plate appearances. And you struck out 25 times, which is, that, that's phenomenal. And, uh, th that ratio is so good. I mean, obviously it meant something to you. And I have this argument with everybody and, and Chris knows we talk about it a lot. There's those people out there say, well, it doesn't make a difference if you strike out or you pop up or I always said, look, you put the bat on the ball, things happen. You know, it's baseball. Baseball is a funny game, as, as many people once said. So, uh, but I mean, obviously it is a different game now, uh, but talk about that. I mean, what do you think about making contact? Putting, to me, a very valuable player is somebody who doesn't strike out much. Well, I, I, I absolutely took pride in, in the fact that I took pride in two things. Um, driving in runs, especially with a man on third base and no outs or one out. I felt like it was my job to get that runner in, even though there might have been some leeway with if I made an out, the guy behind me could still get him in. But, you know, I really took pride in that. That's something that I have talked to my 19-year-old son about uh, hundreds and hundreds of times, that when you get up to the plate with a man on third, and no outs or one out, you have to get them to home. I don't care how you do it. 
get them to home. And going back and answering um, basically the question of uh, would you rather see somebody make contact, uh, how many different ways are uh, are there to for for something to happen if you put the ball in play opposed to if you just swing and miss it? Sure. Uh, you know, infielders have an opportunity to make an error. Uh, you have an opportunity to, to get a base hit, whether it be an infield type of hit or a hit over the infielder's heads. Uh, going back to getting a runner over and getting them in the scoring position, if you put the bat on the ball and hit it to the right side of the infield, that runner is going to get from second to third. And then there's many, many more ways to score from third base, even if there's two outs. Because of, again, the errors, the box, the things that you put the defense on defense. And that makes a big difference. I mean, you put a little more pressure on the defenders. If they know there's a man on third and the the third baseman backhands the ball, and he knows that he's got to make a good throw or a run scores. And anytime you can put pressure on the other team, uh, you've got an opportunity to uh, to turn out a positive uh, impact instead of just letting the guy sit at second and knowing that if he makes a bad throw that he's still going to stay at third most of the time. But naturally, if you airmail it, throw it in the stands, he's going to score. But you know, there, you don't you don't see that in today's game. Uh, it's accepted that guys can strike out. The, the amount of money that they're making uh, nowadays just calls for home runs. Uh, and the scouts, I tell you what, uh, if you go to a college game or, or one of those youth baseball games over in the Arizona or Florida area with USA Baseball or, or Perfect Game, uh, the scouts are going to herd towards a pitcher that's throwing hard opposed to a guy that's getting everybody in the lineup out by spotting the ball and and throwing off-speed pitches. So they're looking for guys that throw 90-plus, 93-plus, and they're looking for guys that hit the ball out of the ballpark. Parents, if your sons can't do one of those two things, don't waste your money by bringing them to showcases. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's like wow. just taking money and burning it out of your pocket. <laughs> True. Wow. And, Kurt, uh, I wanted to ask you, I mean, talk on that same topic. You played with probably the anti-K guy of all time, Tony Gwynn. Now, Tony Gwynn uh, was mostly, for a guy that had <laughs> 600 at-bats, would be in the teens striking out most of the time. Never struck out more than 40 times. He was basically making his mark when you were leaving the game, Kerr. I mean, but you did see him hit 350. Uh, tell us about him as a teammate, and did you have any doubts that this guy would be a Hall of Famer after a few seasons? You know, I look back on on uh, the time that I spent in the big leagues and the way I looked at my teammates, and with the exception of them being good, I never really thought of boy, Tony's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Mm-hmm. Or Stargell's going to be in the Hall of Fame. This is really cool that we're on the same team. 
uh, it, Pops is probably one of the best players that I ever played with in baseball. Uh, and other than just looking at him as a great teammate, uh, a hell of a player, and a and a good guy, um, I never really looked at things that way. The, the the guys that just really stood out in my mind uh, were guys that were in the Hall of Fame when I was growing up. You know, the DiMaggio's of the world. Even Henry Aaron. I never really thought, sitting next to him in a locker room, I never really thought about Boy, this is probably Henry's last year, and in five years, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Never really thought about that. That's why I don't have any damn uniforms. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have any bats. Although yeah, I take the, I take that back. I actually got a game used bat from Henry Aaron his last year wow. in baseball. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I have it. I have it to this day, and uh, and it's a prized possession. It's uh, no doubt. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. But you know, the Mantles of the world and and the DiMaggio's of the world and the Barras, um, the guys that are wait, how can I put this without sounding like a I look at them as the real type Hall of Famers. Right. I think there's yeah. some fake type Hall of Famers that are that are in there now, and I I hate to take anything away from uh, players' performance and and the amount of time that they spent in the league and what they did on the field, but um, I think the Hall of Fame has become uh, become a marketing. Uh, thing now, and it's almost like they have to induct people. Although they didn't this year, because they had Derek in the wings. <laughs> right, Kurt. Before we let you go, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, and listen to your show. By the way, yeah, we have. Uh, uh, when I say we, Hank Bear Bauer, who is the uh, not the ball player. Although he gets fan mail all the time, uh, Hank Bowers, a former uh, special teams guy and the co-captain of uh, San Diego Chargers football team, uh, but him and I do. Uh, boy, we've got one of those shows that is a podcast slash radio. We actually are on a fifty thousand watt radio station uh, here in Southern California, and you know it streams. Uh, in all the normal places. So, uh, you know, people can find it. It's called Grumpy Old Men. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a perfect title. It's a perfect title for Hank. I'm not grumpy <laughs> at all. <laughs> no doubt. Kurt, it's always a pleasure having you as part of the show. You always make this segment so much fun. We hope you'll come back and do it again sometime. Guys, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Best of luck to you and continue the good work. Uh, we appreciate easy, you, Kurt. Stay safe we'll out there. All the soon. best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. You too. 
See you, Kurt. That's a great Kerpa Vaca. Wow, what a what a memento, Bob. Uh, Hank Aaron bad from his final season in Milwaukee. My goodness, I'd have that thing uh, in a big plastic thing with a light spot, spotlight shining down on that. Yeah, that's for sure. He had it when you play as long as he did, fifteen years with so many franchises. Uh, you know, we could talk for for weeks with this guy about. Hall yeah. of Fame teammates and everything, but uh, it's uh, it's always uh, an honor talking to him. The, the time goes by so quickly, Chris. Yes, it does. All right, we've got our next guest, Randy Fuller, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Randy on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, when guys. The door is locked, there's no way out. All right, now back in making his 10th appearance with us is our good friend Randy Fuller. Let me remind you about Randy's background. He's from Griffin, Georgia, which is just south of me here in Atlanta. Played his college ball at Tennessee State, where he was a four-year letterman and an All-American defensive back. Was a fourth-round draft pick by the Denver Broncos in 1994. And he played in the NFL from 94 to 99 for the Broncos, Steelers, Falcons, and Seahawks. Was a part of the Steelers' 1995 AFC Championship team. Saved the game for the Steelers by knocking Jim Harbaugh's last-second Hail Mary pass out of the hands of Aaron Bailey. He was also a part of the Falcons' NFC Championship team in 1998. He's been a great friend on and off the air. Very happy that he is back with us again tonight. I've got my 29 jersey on right here. And, uh, <laughs> Randy, we can't thank you enough, my friend. How are you? Hey, Randy. Hey, man. Hey, how you doing, guys? It's been way too long. I um, definitely hope and pray that you and your family has been well over this past year, and I'm always excited to be a part of this show. We thank you very much, Randy. And speaking of uh, you know making sure everybody's safe and healthy, how are you and the family doing down there? You're down in Houston. Recently, uh, <laughs> yeah. Old Man Winter wasn't too kind to you guys. Oh, man. Houston was not prepared for that. and um, It was a tough week. Um, you know, but we, we survived. That's all I would tell you. Losing power was the biggest thing. We had to go seek refuge somewhere else. And um, a friend let us in and kept us warm for four days and returned home and didn't have any pipes um, burst in the house. So we, we were doing fine. So we're happy that it's 76 degrees and sunny now. So we, <laughs> we're loving the weather. We're back to normal. There you go. Randy, got to get your thoughts, my friend. Steelers season ended in a very disappointing fashion. It it feels like the team's got a lot of gaps they need to fill on uh, on top of having 17 free agents. What do you think? What what do the Steelers need to do over the offseason to get themselves prepared for what it looks like one last run with Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, I mean, I always say um, you got to have a, a healthy defense first. As we know, whoever whatever team has the healthiest um, players at the end of the season are the ones that normally go their feathers. And we knew that the Steelers losing all those linebackers was going to be an issue at some point. We just could not continue to ride that way. So we got to get healthy and, um, and just fill in a few key pieces. I mean, we're not too bad. Um, so I, I just think we need to focus on defense. I, I, I think the offense is going to fix their, their wounds with the, um, offensive line and get the running game going and that's going to open up the passing game so i don't think it's that complicated on what we have to do the biggest thing is that every game we play in our division is going to be 
just a knockout ball game. It's going to be like we play the Ravens every week. <laughs> we know how that came in. So um, yeah. we just got to we got to have good depth and um, some great backups. When they come in, we can't have a, a drop off. That's the biggest thing I see. And, and Randy, to your point, as you look over, you know, the Steelers division in the AFC North, uh, I'm getting a little scared, right? Because I mean, obviously, Steelers won the division and that and all of that, but uh, the way things, you know, fell off. After the 11 and 0 start was, is pretty scary. But to your point, Ravens always good. The Browns look like they finally tried, started to figure things out. And maybe, you know, if we can get Juju to be quiet, you know, the Browns is the Browns. Um, they look like they, you know, they're going to be good for, for a long time. And then we, we don't know yet with, with what Cincinnati has with Joe Burrow. But, uh, are you nervous at all that we might be sliding down the division next season? Um, yeah, I mean, the competition has improved tremendously um, on each of those teams. And we know that those teams have built their roster to, what, defeat the Steelers. I mean, that's, that's it. Every week is their championship week. It's their Super Bowl. And if they can beat the Steelers, I mean, whatever happens the rest of the season, they are happy in the offseason. So we, you know, we got to get back to punching people in the mouth and being the brand that we have always been. I mean, obviously, people say, you know, eventually the top is going to drop to the bottom, bottom's going to rise to the top. But I feel like less, we still got enough talent to stay on the top, but it's also a mentality. You know, we got to not give them billboard material, and then we have to go out there and represent the brand like we always have. Randy, I want to go back to your first season in Pittsburgh, 1995. You played alongside Rod Woodson there. And um, Rod blew out his knee the first game of the 95 season. And typically that ends your year. You get placed on IR and that's it. But the Steelers didn't do that, right? The, I mean, you guys, the Steelers were coming off a, a championship, AFC championship game that they lost to San Diego in 94. Do you know, how did Rod convince Cower and Tom Donahoe, who was the GM at the time, not to put him on injured reserve? Well, I mean, it happened the first game of the season. So there was a, Knowing how far the team had went the year before going to the AFC Championship, then Rod knew that there was enough talent for us to get back that far. And he, he also knew that if he rehabbed hard and um, and um, got himself back to the level where he could play, then he had a chance. So when you're talking about having one of the top players of all time at that position, you know, lobbying to the coach and the general manager, it's not that hard for them to to keep that space open for him. I mean, if he did not have that injury, I wouldn't be on the telephone today because when he got hurt, the Steelers brought in a couple of cornerbacks, and I was one of the ones they brought in. So it all worked out. How ironic it is that I was the one that batted down the pass to send them to the Super Bowl, and then Rod got a chance to, to take his original rep or my rep in the Super Bowl. Bob, questions for Randy? Hey, Randy, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, staying on that first year in Pittsburgh, we know Cower, a uh, defensive-minded coach and everything, but Dick LeBeau was the coordinator there and a legend of Hall of Famer. Uh, mm-hmm. You were around a lot of Hall of Famers back then. But as far as LeBeau, Randy, uh, what was your relationship like with him uh, what made him so great and what made him keep going uh, 
until just a couple of years ago. Well, um, you know, my personal relationship with Coach LeBeau, um, he kind of got to know me um, the 95 year as the season went on because I came after about the third game. And uh, we actually lived in the same complex. So I got a chance to, you know, bump into oh. him from time to time uh, just at home. So I got a chance to get to know him a little better than just being in the workspace. Um, he was a true players coach, um, someone that you could talk to. And then he also recognized the talent that the players have, and he always put them in a winning situation. Um, he, he saw the game before it was even played. So he was a brilliant football mind, and that's what made him exceptional. Um, he's always taking care of himself. He's always been sharp. So, you know, uh, football is what he knew. That was just the blueprint of his life. And uh, so he was going to go until he couldn't go anymore. And uh, it's crazy that we have this brilliant football mind that still should be around the game as a consultant at least to somebody. But, I mean, I love playing for Coach LeBeau. He's one of the greatest coaches that I've ever been around. Randy, all year long, uh, I think a theme of our show, and, and Chris will laugh at this, but we've asked, I think, every defensive player uh, uh-huh. that's been on the show about tackling now. And, you know, you've been out of the league <laughs> 20, over 20 years now. Back then, yeah. you guys, you know, you hit fiercely, but you tackled. Now it's 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 a contact game, Randy. Uh, I think yeah. 95% of the guys we talk to uh, are just totally disgusted disgusted by what they see when they see running backs jump over guys uh, because they're just trying to they're trying to hit and bring a guy down. Uh, what do you yeah. make of it all? Uh, and are you as disgusted as a lot of our former guests here? <laughs> well, you know, um, Mel Kuyper draft day report of me was pound for pound. I was the toughest player in the draft that year and mm-hmm. when I came out in 94. Uh, I was known for tapping. Um, that was my strength. In fact, I didn't mind if you even caught the ball on me because all I wanted to do was pick you up and slam you on your neck. So I was a very dirty <laughs> player, and tackling is what I did well. So this game now, because of the rules, have made it more of a finesse game, and it's not so much guys tackling. It's just using their athleticism to get somebody down. And they're all so timid because of the rules. And it's hard to stick your head in there and make a, a tackle. So it's it's not – I don't think guys so much have changed to the point where they don't want to tackle. I just think the rules have made it so difficult for them to just be the free football player that they need to just hit somebody. Or as, as we as running a lot used to say, imagine yourself stepping through somebody when you make that tackle. So it's definitely different. It has changed. and. It's just an offensive game now. It's just, it's different. Randy, Greg Lloyd joined us on the show a few weeks ago, and you're the one, the, uh, the one who introduced me to Greg, and he's been a wonderful yep. guest. Always brings an intensity to our conversations. I can only imagine what he was like at practice, what he was like, you know, in the weight room and, you know, watching film and all that sort of stuff. Take us there. What was Greg like? And what did he demand of you guys? Well, he was an excellent leader, um, and he led by example. So it was easy to just want to get up and play football. Uh, when Greg spoke, um, people listened. 
you know, he, as he, I'm sure he shared with you, he was a black belt. And, I mean, he'll come out to practice and use some of his moves on me for some reason because we were both from Georgia. So he felt like I was the, the dummy that he could use to, to kick <laughs> and chop on. And I, I remember one day he came and he just, I don't know, just playing around, kicked me, hit me in the stomach. And I lost, I mean, the wind was out of me. I couldn't breathe. And when I finally gathered myself, I was like, okay, he's a black belt. What are you going to do? He's the meanest, toughest linebacker you ever played with. What are you going to do? And all I could say was, man, Greg, stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> that no. is it. I mean, that's all you can say. But, man, his intensity on the field was just, I mean, he was just as intense off the field, but on the field, I mean, he was my type of player. I mean, I was, you know, I, even though I played corner, I always thought I was kind of a linebacker mentality, right? I, I thought I was like him. And um, so I love playing with him. And my biggest memory is we were playing the Raiders, and I had to cover James Jett. And it was man-to-man, and he ran a slant on me. Well, he was running inside. I think I was still standing in the same place. I don't think I could move. He was so fast. <laughs> and I turned to take off, and all of a sudden I saw the ball flying in the air. And I was like, why is the ball flying in the air? But, man, Greg, who's supposed to have been rushing the passer, for some reason he decided to drop in the coverage, and he hits James Jet under the chin, man, and the ball just flies. And I remember going back to the huddle, and I was like, oh, thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a chance. <laughs> so, but no, I love playing with, with Greg. I mean, to me, I played with some of the best. I mean, just on that team alone, I played with Chad Brown, Dante Jones, Jason Gilden, Kevin Green, uh, LeVon Kirkland, of course, Greg, Jerry O, everybody. I mean, just incredible football player. That's just the linebacker. So, just a great, great team. And Randy, I think one of the guys from that team that uh, we've both been surprised that uh, hasn't gotten a a, uh, a coaching job and defensive coordinator position is Darren Perry. Talk about your yeah. relationship with Darren, and um, you know, a guy that probably deserves a uh, a higher level position than what he's been ha- had the opportunity to get for some reason. Yeah, I, I have no clue. I mean, this is Darren was a and is a true student of the game. Um, I really always felt that he knew the defense better than the coordinators themselves. Um, he's coached in the league a long time over the years and have his players have made, you know, all everything and done exceptionally well. Defenses he's been on have been pretty good uh, in a lot of places. So he's worked his way up the ladder. So I don't understand why he hasn't gotten a defensive coordinator position at least. And um, he definitely will be an excellent head coach if given the opportunity one day. Uh, Darren and I have remained friends um, over the years um, since we left the game, and we always got along. Um, You know, he was my free safety, and I used to say, Darren, I'm taking this chance. I need you to cover me. So, you know, he's always covered me on the field, always covered me off the field, and um, he's a great person, uh, great, great husband, great father, and, and great friend. Randy, I want to take you back to your first year in the league, drafted by the Broncos, and you spent one season there in Denver. And, and we always hear about playing in the thin air of Denver there at Mile High Stadium. 
What was it like for you coming from Tennessee State and trying to adjust to playing in Denver? Was it easy or was it a big adjustment? Uh, for me, it wasn't that hard. And the only reason I would say it wasn't hard for me because, I mean, I've always been a track guy. I've always, I mean, just run, 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 run. So um, for me, it was easy adjustment. But whenever I had family or friends that came out to visit, just watching them walk up the steps and get to the top of the steps, <laughs> like about to pass out. I used to start laughing, <laughs> like, "Oh God, you gotta get in shape! Don't fall out on me." But I've seen everybody <laughs> else suffer, and but when you're a, within the kind, I mean, I was coming off the combine, coming off pro day. When I went out there to mini camp, I didn't have any issues with the air whatsoever. So um, for me, it was easy. But for regular people that go visit them or not used to it, they they you have to be careful. It will sneak up on you, but I enjoyed playing out there. Uh, it was just, to me, I just felt the healthiest I ever been in my life. Like the air is so clear and so clean, and it, it makes you just want to get out and start running. So um, it was a good experience. I mean, I was happy that I started there, even though I begged the Steelers to draft me, and they didn't. But I eventually ended up there after a year. And I mean, I couldn't have planned it any better to have been on that, a part of that team, that 1995 championship team. Bob, more for Randy. And Randy, on the other side of the ball in Pittsburgh, I'm sure there was some, uh, shall we say, nice collisions with Jerome Bettis at times during practice. I mean, this is another guy, you know, Hall of Famer. Uh, what was it like going up against this guy? Talk about him as a teammate. And, and how did a guy that played over 250 pounds gain almost 13, more than 13,000 yards in this league, Randy? Well, uh, the first thing I would say is that for the, the size of Jerome is that he had incredible nifty feet. Uh, he was really light on his feet and he had great vision. Um, just some things that you just don't find a lot of in bigger running backs like Jerome. Um, the keys to his success though, obviously it started with, with the line when you talk about, uh, Damani Dawson and John Jackson and Newberry. Paris and Cersei and Cy and Dresnick. I mean, you just had an incredible offensive line. But the main piece was not Jerome being the bus, but it was Tim Lester, the bus driver. And God bless his soul. We I just attended his funeral about a month ago and uh, really missed him. And uh, but Tim was a big catalyst for Jerome carving out those yards. And uh, you know when Jerome first got to Pittsburgh, um, I had heard about him, but I didn't know much about him. And then just watching the way he presented himself at practice, I realized that he was a true professional, and I I was happy that he was on my team, and I truly didn't have to tackle him <laughs> in the game. And um, I don't think I got a chance to hit him too much at practice, um, but I just remember thinking about this man's size bigger than my whole body. so I. I I don't know what I would do if I had it, <laughs> but uh, he was a true professional, uh, very deserving of the Hall of Fame. I, I think we spoke maybe uh, he just had a birthday. I think I called him with some happy birthday, spoke to him recently, and uh, he's doing well off the field as well. So um, incredible person. And, and the Steelers have produced a lot of just quality men, you know, away from the game. I mean, it's, it's amazing whenever I've been around the alumni going all the way back to um, stall work and blunt and just 
Dwyer. I mean, whenever I've been around these guys, I'm like, man, these are the guys that you want to be like. And um, and my teammates were no, I mean, they were the same. They were exactly the same. So I, there's something in the in the rivers there that um, they pick the right players and, and they do have great character on and off the field. Brandy, you played six years in the league. That's that's more than the average these days. And you know, going back to when you were a kid, I mean, you probably played football for twenty years, and then uh, you know, two thousand, you're at thirty years old, and it's gone. I mean, how do you yes. adjust? Was it very tough for you? Uh, and how long did it take for you to really get into a different way of life? It was a uh, really really because at thirty, I actually felt like I was ready to play my best football and all of a sudden the game was taken away or not offered anymore and just trying to move to the next career it was difficult even though I had prepared myself to say hey um, if I can get vested if I can get a retirement plan I'm okay to move on and I made it to that. I remember getting cut from Denver, and I was like, man, whatever team I get on next, I'm not leaving until I get vested. And sure enough, I went to Pittsburgh, got three years, I was vested. And I was very fortunate to get two more years with um, the Falcons and the Seahawks. And um, just not knowing. I mean, because I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't prepared. I knew that I stayed in college to get a degree so I would have something to fall back on, but I still didn't know what that career choice was coming from football. And what's crazy is that because you don't have experience in those other fields, then they tend not to hire you. Or in some cases, they feel like, oh, you're overqualified or whatever the case may be. But it was it was a really, really tough transition. And I think now the NFL got so many different programs for the for the players that it's not the same. They don't have to worry as much. And some of them, you know, start trying to figure out what that next career is. And it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's just about you still have to live and you still have to take care of your family. I mean, because a lot of times we're playing football and we don't even have kids yet. Some of us don't have wives. And then all of a sudden you're out of the game and then you add all these other things and it just changes the story. So that's why, you you know, it's a, it's a lot more success stories of, of people life after football than there are bad ones. But you know, they always put the bad ones in and glorified and and people think everybody yep. lives like that, but that's not the case. And to that end, Randy, let's take that a, a step further. You've got a, a wonderful golf tournament that you've hosted for years for uh cure for our friends. Talk about yes. the things that you're doing to help give back and uh are you guys doing the tournament this year? We are. We are. I will definitely send you the flyer. And let me Look up the day. I'm pretty sure it's May 15th, but let me just confirm it. Um, yeah, so Cure for Our Friends, been working with them. I don't know. It's almost, it's been over 10 years. And, uh, we raised money for, um, cystic fibrosis and, and just for, um, kids that may have some kind of terminal medical illness. So we help the families out. And, um, it's been a blessing to be able to help and support. I've had, um, Dante Jones have been coming over the years. My my best friend Gary Downs, who I play with with the Falcons, he's he's been coming. Um, who else is coming? Um, Oliver Davis played for the Bengals back in the day. Ross, um, you remember Ross? Who um, 
played Ross, Ross Brown. He played for the Ross Bengals. Browner, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Ross lives in Nashville. So Nat, Ross always comes and supports. And uh, who else? Uh, I invite Greg, Cordell. I mean, I invite all my friends that golf. Sometimes they try to make it sometimes. So I at least try to get them out there. But uh, it's a fun tournament. It's, it's just laid back and and uh, normally it was, it's been in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, but we have moved it um, out to Goodlessville. So it's a real nice course. And I'm going to send you this flyer, so maybe you can mention it maybe on another show. Uh, but I can't find it right now. But it's May 15th. <laughs> and uh, then, okay. then then also do uh, work with uh, Gridiron Heroes. Gridiron Heroes is, you know, raise money for hospitals that uh, – have um, head injuries and um, spinal cord injuries. So we raise money to help them with, um, you know, they may need a van or or wheelchair or whatever. But it is an incredible program because we all love high school football. But when that kid is laying on that turf, man, there are no resources for them. So we, uh, Great Out Heroes, has been doing that for a long time. And it's been a blessing to be a part of that. So, uh, yeah, so that golf tournament is May 15th, 2021. So uh, I will send you okay. that flyer. We do have sponsorship levels. So I appreciate the support that you guys have given us over the years in doing that tournament. So thank you guys so much. And you guys have been a big sponsor. And I normally take a picture at your hole and send it to you. So we will do that again. I look um, forward to so, it. Yes, sir. Randy, are we are we going to get you behind the broadcast mic again uh, anytime soon? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Uh, my buddy, who's the lead reporter for Fox Sports Latin America, you know, we um doing when COVID first hit, man, we uh, we did a show and we had all kind of guests on there um, each week, every every Monday night. It kind of replaced Monday night football. You know, we just talked about, you know football and different aspects of it and um so i did that and you know i enjoy being a guest i i enjoy visiting your show but for me to do it full time or all the time I, I don't think i want to but i definitely enjoy being a part of it so um that's about all you're gonna get from <laughs> fair enough well we appreciate the fact that you continue to come back and you've uh, been a wonderful part of this show over the years. You're fantastic, my friend. Let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media. Yeah, I'm still improving my social media present. You know, I don't do much on it anymore, so forgive me, but, you know, I do have a Twitter account, and it's at rfuller29, and then uh, my Instagram is fullran, F-U-L-R-A-N. First three letters of my last name, first three letters of my first name. So those are the the main two social media platforms that I use. So I will try to post more stuff if, if people are going to follow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we follow you. So we, we always like to see what, what you're, what you're doing. So if it's only for us, yeah. I hope you'll continue to do that. I, I, I definitely will. You guys are, have been very supportive. And I, again, I do appreciate you guys. And um, I forgot to tell you that my son is um, over in Spain playing soccer. No. Wow. So he graduated. Yeah. He, he graduated in May and took a gap year to go and pursue 
his dream of playing professional soccer. So he's at a soccer academy over in West of Spain, and he's doing extremely well. So we'll we'll see what the future holds for him. Absolutely. Good luck. Well, uh, we'd like following that. So hopefully you can post some of that stuff, too. So good luck to yeah. him. Randy, you're the best, Thank my you, friend. Thank you so much for uh, continuing to be a part of the show, a wonderful part of the show, and a great friend off the air as well. You're fantastic, my friend. We hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Keep doing what you guys do well, spreading the love and the joy to the sports world. People love to hear these stories. So thank you guys again, and I look forward to being on the next show in the future. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch up with you again soon. All right, same with you guys. Thank you, guys. Good night. See you, Randy. All right. That's a great Randy Fuller. Like I say, proudly wearing the 29 tonight for Randy. What a wonderful friend he has been over the years, Bob. And not like I say, not only on the air but off the air as well. And to Randy, we've we've gotten to you know got to know Greg and and uh, who's a wonderful uh, part of our guest Hall of Fame and then so many other players. Randy's uh like you always say, Bob, right? Ten times better person uh, off the field and uh, and off the air than he is on it. He was a, a really good player on it too. Yeah, he's a what can we say, Chris? Top shelf individual. He's a uh, a guy. There's a reason why he's been on the show ten times. You know, he's, we've had other guys on the show uh, that you know just haven't come back or for some reason. Uh, but you know, he's appreciative of what we do. But we're more appreciative of having friends like him. And uh, when you talk to him, uh, it's easy to see why he'll uh, he'll come back soon too. We love the guy. Yes, we do. All right, uh, when Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Here are two more stories about guys out there making a positive impact on their community. We'll do that right on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, we are back here on Thursday night tailgate, and we are turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you putting your spotlight on tonight? I got a great story for you tonight, Chris. I mean, uh, another Walter Payton Man of the Year finalist this year, uh, and that's the defensive lineman from the New York Giants, Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, you know, I did some research on this guy, Chris. Then I went to the NFL site uh, where they actually have all the honorees. And when you read about this guy's story, uh, it, it really blows you away. I mean, what this guy's gone through and now what he does, uh, both on and off the field. This is a guy, Chris, who he, he tore ACLs in his senior year of high school and his freshman year of college. Ooh. So, you know, I mean, I, I tell, you know, he's a big guy, uh, and then he goes to Alabama. You know, I mean, so this is a guy that had, you know, it was, things were not easy for this guy. And what does he do? Well, he becomes part of two national championships teams. Uh, you know, so, I mean, he did not have, and easy, and, and to to put bring that a step further, he lost his father Chris when he was five years old, and he lost his mom when he was in high school. So wow. look at this guy. I mean, that's just a preface of what uh, this guy before he ever got to the NFL. You know, so I mean, first of all, he's now he's been in the league four years. He has started every game, Chris started, uh, and um, 
and appeared in every game. And that, when you when you look back in history, there's not too many guys who have done that. Their first four years, he's played in uh, 64 games. Uh, that's and started every game. So that tells you what he overcame and how good of a player he is. Uh, so uh, and he and he really took a liking to uh, New York, and uh, you know he became involved uh, with this group, the Far Rockaway Colts. Now in New York City, Chris, Far Rockaway is in Queens, and it's it's filled with a lot of gang violence. So Tomlinson said to my himself, you know, I'm going to take a lot of these kids under my wing and see what I can do. You know, it's 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 uh, it's made of kids between the ages of eight and thirteen, and uh, he has regular check-in calls with these kids. Uh, he actually tries to wait, find ways to uh, financially support these kids. So, I mean, he's given back a lot in just that. But that doesn't even touch the surface of what this guy does. He's a part of the organization Good Grief, and that's an organization, Chris, that uh, deals with people uh, like himself who lost parents at an early age. And he's always doing fun fundraisers for that uh, because that goes back. It hits him when he was a youth and uh, very dear to him. Very active in the American Cancer Society. He's Film things and and, and uh, commercials and film things for the Giants that that uh, deal with that and uh, he gives to so many different problems. Very big on the Diabetes Association, the Team Tackle Initiative. Um, I mean, he's very big and visiting Cancer Society. This is a guy that stepped. Another one I know that you're uh, that's dear to you, the Wounded Warrior Project, Chris. He's been known yeah. to. Uh, take uh, military veterans throughout the training facility in New York for the Giants, and he plays video games with them. He's done that a lot. Uh, very, very, I could keep going, Chris. He's very active with My Sister's Place, which, of course, that's the safe haven for victims of domestic violence. Um, but, I mean, again, we say this all the time. You can't give the award to every guy. Um, and But, I mean, what he does, and I've, I've just scratch the surface. I urge people to go to the NFL website, Walter Payton, uh, just Google it, Walter Payton, Man of the Year, to go to the NFL site and read about a few of these guys. But check in with Tomlinson because I didn't know uh, too much about him before I started doing the research this week. So, uh, I mean, it'll give you a great feeling. It'll be, bring tears to your eyes. But uh, and there's some video of here, him there, Chris, with the Wounded Warrior people. So, uh I can't. I, I I really can't shout him out enough tonight. Dalvin Tomlinson, defensive end for the New York Giants. Yeah, boy, you you go on and on there, Bob. I mean, all the great things that he is involved with and giving his time to and trying to make a difference. Huge kudos to Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to reading the story, but just listening to you talk about right. it, amazing. And yeah, Wounded Warrior Project is is something near and dear to our hearts. But tonight, I'm going to put my spotlight back on Bucks defensive tackle and Dominican Sue. A few years ago, he was in our spotlight when he gave $2.6 million, again, $2.6 million to his alma mater, the University of Nebraska. $2 million went to the uh, strength and conditioning program, the other 600000 funded an engineering scholarship. And since then, Forbes magazine has named him one of the most generous celebrities. And giving to, you know, his former school didn't stop at, at college. When he heard that his former high school was in desperate need of a new football field, 
donated a quarter of a million dollars that they needed to get the new field installed. When he heard that the Frederick Douglass College Preparatory Academy of for young men in Detroit had all of their equipment and uniforms stolen, didn't even have to be asked before he put in a call and paid for everything to be replaced. After he heard about a major football rivalry out in East L.A., the East L.A. Classic played between Roosevelt High School and Garfield High School in Los Angeles, he decided to not only show up at each school to talk to both players on both teams, but he also paid to have all new uniforms delivered to every player on both teams. He's also one of the most giving players with respect to his time, Bob. He's a regular grantor of wishes for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Whenever the foundation calls to let him know that a child, you know, has made a wish that wants to meet him, he makes it a priority to not only grant the wish, but also take the time to make sure it's a day that that child will never forget. He donated millions of dollars in school supplies to needy students in the communities that he's played in, starting with his time there in Detroit with the Lions. The foundation has funded scholarships for those who, you know, continue to choose to go to school, right? He wants to really fund education. So kids that are, you know, have made a commitment to go on to college, he's got a foundation that helps fund scholarships and enable kids to do that. All of this, Bob, in addition to the countless donations that he's made to, you know, various other charities and organizations that seek him out for donations. And they seek him out because they know he's going to come through for them. And the majority of all of this goes on without media attention, you know, no cameras, no press releases, no, you know, local, you know, uh, media people, whether it's the newspaper or the local news. He's just a man who has decided that with all of the blessings that he has, it's his responsibility to give back whenever he can. So, you know, if you think you know Indomitian Sue from the dirty plays and the videos, you know, uh, and certainly Bob and I have talked, you and I have talked about that for years, right? You know, we don't, we don't condone that sort of thing. And he's been a dirty player on the field at times. But you know what? Do a little research to what you said a moment ago, Bob. Do a little extra research on this time and Dominican Sue to see who he is off the field because he's making a tremendous positive impact on a lot of lives. Sort of reminds me, Bob, maybe of a, a more modern day mean Joe Green, if you will. Kind of a mean guy on the field, but a heck of a nice guy off the field. And uh, so I want to put my spotlight back on in Dominican suit. That's a great point, Chris, about everything, you know, about, uh, you know, trying to separate the uh, the football career from what some of these guys do. But, uh, you know, all people want to probably read uh, is the negative stuff. And the reason why I probably didn't read uh, or hear about Dalvin Tomlinson until this week, or what he does off the field, is because, um, you know, it, it doesn't sell. He does it quietly. I don't know how you do so much so quietly, but he does. But Sue is the same way, Chris. I mean, you read about, you know, Sue, you think of a big, tough guy in the football field. But my goodness, he's right at the top of uh, guys that have given back, both financially and end of their time. And again, uh, that's, it's become um, something to us where, you know, we're impressed by these guys, what they do um, on the field. But, you know, in such a tough sport, for these guys to take the time and to get the energy to do what they do off the field and lend their name to these causes and really care about it. You know, the, the guys that we usually feature are paying man of the year people. These aren't guys that just do it from afar, Chris. They're very heavily involved. And, uh, again, it's something you and I always do, and it never gets old, does it? 
No, absolutely it does not. So uh, as Randy mentioned, and as we talk about all the time here on the show, right, that's, those are, these are the stories that we need to make sure are out there more prominently than the, uh, the knucklehead stories about guys doing stuff that, you know, ends, ends up on the front page and uh, on ESPN and SportsCenter and that sort of thing. It's the guys out there that are making a positive contribution. Again, like, you know, in Dominic and Sue's case, you know, no media coverage. He's not looking to, you know, put, shine the spotlight on himself. Um, but that's what we want to do. We want to make sure you guys are aware of these stories and, and how many great things guys are doing in their communities to make a difference. And uh, tonight, two more guys, uh, two more stories about guys doing just that. Hi, Bob. It's time for us to put a bow on this final edition of our ninth season of Thursday Night Tailgate. We want to send out our thanks to Wendell Davis, Kurt Pavaco, and Randy Fuller for joining us. But, Bob, it's been uh, an honor to share another season with you, my friend. You're fantastic. Thank you for uh, a great ninth year. Uh, Same here, Chris. You know, we've done so many shows together. um, It's like we just we get together. It's like two guys talking at a bar, you know, it's like what we do, what we do. It's just a lot of fun. And it's just as fun as when we first started doing it, which I, I'm so old. I can't remember when we first started doing it. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm sure uh, as long as we can do it and, and if we're able, we'll probably be doing a show somewhere. I know we'll be doing stuff That's on right. the golf side up until next year, but uh, you know, all our hope, we, like we said at the beginning, I think the hope is uh, we'll get back to some, sort of normalcy, have a, uh, a normal type show uh, in the fall and uh, have it go till next February or whatever in um, without any kind of interruption. So that's that's our plan, Chris. And uh, again, I urge everybody out there to take it just one day at a time. And uh, we thank all the guests that came on this year, Chris. Yes, we do. We appreciate everybody's contributions. We appreciate everyone you know, for continuing to listen and, and support this show. And we certainly hope you'll come back and, and uh, continue to support us as we head into our 10th season, uh, you know, later in the fall. And, you know, Bob, to your point, you know what? I bet if we really look back at it, when we started together on View from the Lone Red Seat, our Red Sox show, I, I think it was about 10 years ago this time, right? When it was spring training. It was 2011 for sure, because this show started in September of 2011. So we backed it all the way up to we started in baseball and then we, we moved on from baseball to football. So it's uh, it's probably already been 10 years that we've been doing this thing together. But uh, the show will obviously uh, have its 10th anniversary uh, sometime later this fall. So we look forward to that. Folks, as Bob mentioned, you know, we hope you'll you'll switch over to golf and uh, and, and uh, support us over there next on the tee. Uh, I'll be starting up that podcast here in a, in a couple of weeks, Tuesday nights uh, at eight o'clock, Bob comes over and joins me over there as well from time to time. And, and I hope you'll come over and uh, we'll start, we'll start talking golf. Uh, you can find that show on uh, great podcasting sites, just like this one. We're on radio.com, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Player.fm. Uh, we are all over the net. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, you'll find this show and that one again, next on the T on, uh, on any one of those. Uh, I talk with uh, PGA and LPGA legends, the pros out there on the tour, plus the top instructors in the game. So go online to nextonthetee.net. You'll be able to check out the uh, the guest schedule over there. And like I say, uh, we look forward to you, to you coming back and uh, and joining us for the 10th season of this show uh, in the fall. Uh, on social media, you can follow Bob and I. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at CT Mascaro. 
Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari, and the show is at TNT Podcast. Uh, Follow us on Facebook. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages, plus uh, we've got one for the show as well. Give us a like. That's very important to us. And uh, continue to check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com, as we start to piece together our uh, our guest uh, schedule. We'll certainly start posting it over there. And then you can uh, link back to our page over on Podbean so you can stream or download any of our archive episodes for the ten or you know, nine seasons right now. For the nine seasons we've had of the show, you can go all the way back and start listening to any one of those. So download the Podbean app. You can take us with you everywhere you go. Uh, I also want to ask for your support over on uh, Podcast Magazine. Go to podcastmagazine.com and, uh, and vote for the show and their Hot 50 list, whether it's this one, Thursday Night Tailgate, or the golf show next on the tee. You can go on podcast, uh, I can say com, and then their Hot 50 list. You can vote for up to three podcasts and get us into the Hot 50 list. So we'd certainly appreciate your support for either one of our shows, Thursday Night Tailgate next on the tee. Plus some of our great friends, Gus Farad and his uh, wonderful show, Huddle Up with Gus. Our great friend, Mitch Lawrence and his show, Talking Golf Getaways. Jason Fearman and the folks over there on 3rd and 3 podcast. Locked on Patriots with Mike Diabetti. And then our good friends, uh, Flieger and Briggs and their show, Chaos and Disorder. Bob, take us home one more time this season. All right, Chris, we'll be in touch. And uh, we want to thank our great announcer, Joe Lajanusa throughout the year for doing such a tremendous job with our intro and ads. We also want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. On behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank all the fans out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you so much. and You guys are the best. And until the fall, good night, Kevin, good night, Terry, and good night, Rusty. We miss all of you.
Another day from the insane 